0: Ahoy, Mets fans! Welcome to episode 233 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining me for this second episode of the 2017 season. We have another full show, but first we have Chris McShane and myself discussing the first nine Mets games of the year, answering an email, and talking about uh, some of our favorite, most surprising, and... Uh, most Mets moments of the first nine games, so uh, enjoy. Well, Chris, we are here. We are nine games into the 2017 season. The Mets are 6-3. and Uh, They just finished a sweep of the Philadelphia Phillies less than an hour ago. Um, Overall, how are you feeling about the 2017 Mets? Very good.
1: You know, I mean, coming out of the Marlins series, it was a little, eh, you had a back-to-back there where, They just didn't look sharp, lost a couple games, but Noah Syndergaard came out and did what he does, and then they took care of business in Philadelphia. Uh, This whole feeling that Citizens Bank Park is now a good place to watch the Mets play games is still kind of bizarre.
0: Well, it's especially bizarre when you consider there's no longer a Turner Field to feel bad about watching games at So.
1: Yeah. Oh, it would be great if, the uh, you know, what they've done in Philadelphia uh, over the last few years has been really good. And I would just love it if they went to the new ballpark that the Braves play in uh, and owned it, you know? Yeah. I'm not one to be superstitious or talk about curses or whatever, but uh, yeah, I'd, I won't miss Turner
0: Fields. <laughs> Um, my wife and I went to Turner Field, I guess it was probably in 2010, maybe 2009, somewhere in that ballpark, and the Mets were on a really good streak at that point. They had won like something like 7 of 9, they were looking great, and then I went to the most boring baseball game I've ever been there. The <laughs> Mets, they, they, got, they had like 4 or 5 runs scored against them in the first inning, and then were we're like two hit through the rest of the game. And just one of those games that is absolutely excruciatingly painful to watch. And I was in Atlanta. It was not good. So yes, I am totally fine. Never with Turner field being not a thing anymore. Yeah. So. um, We're going to play a little game in a second about the first week of Mets baseball, but we did have an email from last week that we're just going to uh, briefly touch on our pal, Brad, Sent it in, and he uh he basically he he went back to the trade of Gabby Yanoa to the Orioles for cash, and was uh was just, you know questioning if he's being an alarmist for being worried about the Mets pitching depth because with Lugo being out, with Matt still being on the DL, with Wheeler now having only two starts under his belt since 2014, you know the the Mets pitching depth does not look like what it used to be, right? We especially when you consider that Rafael Montero was considered part of that plan and he has not pitched very well so far this season. You know, is there uh Chris, do you feel like there is reason to be concerned about the Mets pitching depth or do you think that this is all just going to work itself out?
1: Well, I so my general view on it is that I think there are some Mets fans who are maybe freaking out about it a little bit too much. Uh, you know, it's not ideal once you get past a certain point, but when you look around the league and what teams have pitching in their major league rotations, the Mets, I think, are still much better off in in that regard. Uh, in the event of several injuries like last year, you'd like to have you know prospects who were at higher levels who looked like they were on the verge of – you know, graduating to the major leagues. But overall, I still think they're in a better spot than most of the other teams in baseball. Um, You know, it's just not easy to get that many guys. Even if you're thinking of, like, veteran depth guys trying to make their way back, they're not all going to sign up to go pitch in Las Vegas and wait. You know, for somebody in the Mets rotation who's clearly better than them at this point in their careers uh, for a shot to get back to the big leagues. So, you know, there's opt-outs and all that kind of thing with minor league deals. There's ways that it could work and everything, but I don't know. I'm just not – it's it's not that you don't want to think about it. And I, I, I get it in terms of Genoa. You know, specifically looking at him, he's, you know, no guarantee to be great or anything. He looked okay in the taste of the big leagues that he got last year with the Mets. But I understand how that could be frustrating. It's just, I don't know. It's not something that I'm too worked up about. Like, to me, he's probably a little bit better than Montero but i don't know i just haven't i haven't gone as far down as even though montero hasn't done anything to you know prove himself yet in the big leagues uh just haven't gotten that low on him
0: i guess there's this belief among uh certain fans and i i maybe would even consider myself a part of this which is that when it comes to pitching depth it's not even so much about having there's no way to say this that doesn't sound stupid, but I think you know what I mean. It's not about having great pitching, it's about having a lot of pitching, right? You hope that just the sheer number of folks that you have will mean that one of them might work out. And I think that when you look at, you know, last year the Mets lost essentially two of their starters for most of the season. They expected Wheeler back, never got him back. So let's say they lost, you know, three of their top. Six or seven starters. If the Mets today lost three of their top six or seven starters, it would it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as it would they wouldn't be as well prepared to deal with it as they were last year. And they weren't particularly well built to deal with it last year. They just got lucky in a lot of ways. And what they had they had more than they thought they had. Um. So I so I, I understand the fear, and I think that the Yanoa that the, that the, that the trade certainly is one that could look very, very silly in a couple of years. Or it could look like, you know, nothing at all. These are the things that we have to wait and find out about. But I think overall the Mets pitching, the overall Mets pitching has the potential to be amazing and hopefully will be amazing. But I, I can see the the fear about the lack of depth. I, I understand that fear. Even if I don't necessarily uh, share the fear at this very moment as much as some of our, listeners perhaps do.
1: Yeah, and the you know, the last thing uh in the email that Brad sent touches on the, you know, eventual maybe inevitable return of Bartolo Colon. I joked about that as soon as he signed with the Braves. Yep. Um and you know, not that you forecast bad things to happen, but uh but yeah it's it's something that I it could happen. I don't know how many years the Braves are going to be willing to give somebody to the Mets for a borderline minor league arm. Uh, You know, I think we've seen the trades that some national experts freaked out about (laughs) that the Mets have made down the stretch the last two years. Those concerns were probably overblown in, I think, every case. You know,
0: Uh, I I guess folks who were mad about losing Michael Fulmer can point to how good Fulmer's been.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I wasn't even thinking of that one. Oh, okay. I mean, that that to me, if you're... In 2017, if you're still complaining about that, but is still around. <laughs> That's fair. You got to find something new to complain about. But... Uh, there are still you, folks you, who do that. I it's I, I was talking about that today with a friend, and I said, I think it's an extreme minority of Mets fans. I agree. Because... There's no way Ioannis Espes would be on the 2017, 18, 19, and 20 Mets. And for that matter, the 2016 Mets, if they hadn't signed him, I'm sorry, traded for him uh, and given up Fulmer.
0: So, Nor would they have probably made the World Series.
1: Right. Right, yeah, you, you don't know how how any of that would have played out, but it did go that way, and, and that was fine. But, yeah, in terms of the more minor trades. And the the pieces the Mets have gotten back haven't necessarily been minor. Addison Reed is one of them. Uh but, you know, these you are guys about
0: who has given up for Reed or Salas. You're crazy.
1: Right. If you can name who was given up for them <laughs> and Fair. you don't you know, have to uh talk about them on the podcast and write about them. Like there's a certain point that I'm like if I weren't doing any of this what would be the level that I would know that I had gone too far? (laughs) And I think that's probably it, you know? Uh, So, yeah, it, my only question is if it gets to a point that the Mets feel like they would really want Cologne back, what level of giving him away would the Braves be comfortable with? Um, So, yeah, I, I would welcome him back with open arms. I hope it doesn't happen because of an emergency, uh, rather because of a preference, but we'll see. Yeah,
0: I hope Zach Wheeler is pitching really well in August and they're getting close to his innings limit and they want to save him for the playoffs. And so they managed to wrangle, we've mentioned this before, both Colon and Dickie back for a bit.
1: Oh, yeah. Getting the band back together.
0: Yep. Absolutely. All right, well, uh, thank you for the email. As always, you can email the show podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Uh, so, Chris, we're going to play a little a little uh, game is the wrong word. We're going to do a little exercise here. I come up with a uh, sort of a six-question questionnaire here, and I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to give my own response, to six questions about the Mets' first week of baseball. What was the best moment of the first week of Mets' baseball for you? The first nine games, we'll say.
1: Yeah, I will say the three home runs from Cespedes.
0: It's hard to argue with that. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, I, you can go with some other things and I'll, I'll let you get to yours first. But just that, I don't know, to go back to the Stooges record, uh, raw power. You know, it, it's just <laughs> when he does that and, and you know, I don't believe too much in momentum or streakiness, especially with an individual player like that, but on a night that you would say that he was locked in, man, it's just fun to watch. And the funny thing is in that game that Lucas Duda probably hit the single most impressive home run. Yes, he did. And it was one of two, and it was still like a footnote. And that's fine. You know, Cespedes should have been the star of the game because he did it three times. But, you know, a similarity between, I think, music and baseball and whatever you're into, really any kind of performance uh, that you, you go to see. When somebody does something that blows you away, however it is that you react to that, for me, I kind of laugh. Uh, right. So when Cespedes, it was either the second or third home run that I just, I, that's what, I just did that, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you see the body language of the pitcher on the third one?
1: Uh, I can't say that I specifically remember Oh it.
0: man, he you essentially saw him say fuck it. Like, he was so (laughs) mad. He just, like, kind of threw his arms up. I forget which pitcher. I forget who gave up the third home run to him. But it was just this, like, this resignment of, oh, I can't believe this has happened again. But it was great. Yeah. Uh, My moment was a bit of an, I think, unexpected one. It was Cindergaard being a stopper on Sunday night. I think that... Like so many Mets fans early on in the season, team starts to lose a couple of games and you start to get visions of 2010 dancing in your head. And just those terrible Mets teams that would go on these long, protracted losing streaks forever and never seem to have somebody who could bust them out of it. And Syndergaard came out on Sunday night and just absolutely busted them out of it. And just to see the power of his presence on the mound, his pitching performance... It was it was a great moment, and it showed me that if the Mets get into a couple of slumps this season, they have a legitimate pitcher who I would I put up there with the best three or four in baseball, who is willing to not willing, who is able to break them out of that just by not not even by doing anything above and beyond what they usually do, just by being themselves. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was fun. Yeah. No, he's he's on that level.
0: Now, uh, what was the worst moment of the uh, first nine games, Chris, for you?
1: For me, I was at the Saturday night game where it was nice, but it got cold and then colder and colder than you expected. And the Mets fell behind by more and more. And I don't leave games early, but that ninth inning – was probably about as tempting as it got to leave. You know, Montero, I forget if he pitched the eighth or the ninth. I think he might have been in the eighth, but whatever the case was, you know, it was long. You, you know, they were having a hard time getting outs and ending the inning. And, you know, the Mets go into the bottom of the ninth, and, of course, I'm never going to root against them. but
0: You just went it over.
1: Yeah. I mean, my top priority was seven or eight runs. For some crazy comeback, but my one A priority was just make the ads quick. <laughs> I want to go home. I want to get in my car. Yeah. So yeah, that was um, that was the low point. Pretty much because I was there, you know, it, in the context of a long season, it's just one of those shitty games that you write off. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, that was not enjoyable.
0: Uh, what about you? I think mine was the news that. Seth Lugo has a partially torn UCL. Okay, uh, just because I feel like with all of our sort of um, injury prognostication over this over the winter, nobody ever said, "But what if Seth Lugo goes down?" It just wasn't something that ever came up because, well, why would it come up? And he always seemed like sort of a, a safe bet for that sixth or seventh starter who, as we talked about before, would would be better than the 6th or 7th starter for a lot of teams, better than the 5th starter for a lot of teams, but to see him potentially out for the season, even though he claims he's not going to need Tommy John surgery, that remains to be seen. And, uh, yeah, that just, to me, that was the biggest moment of sort of existential Mets dread this season so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least he is, or was, depending on how things go in the spot of the depth chart where he was, you know? Right. There's some sort of weirdness to it that, like, the unfamiliar guy seems invincible because you've only known him to be a healthy pitcher. Right. Right. Like, he, he came up. It wasn't that many innings, but he came up, did all that. And for until something happens, you kind of, I don't know, Consider him not invincible, but you just don't sit there and worry. Maybe partly because you don't know if he's for real yet, so you don't know whether or not it matters if he's hurt, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who had the most surprising performance of the first nine games?
1: Uh, I will say, and this is just someone who has joked through most of the offseason about buying his jersey, uh, it's <laughs> Jay Bruce. I mean, it has to be. Yeah,
0: uh, I, I was trying to come up with a different answer for all these than you had, but I can't I can't say it. I can't. It has to be Jay Bruce.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I can give like a, a secondary answer, but Bruce coming out of the gate this hot, really carrying the Mets offense until things started to click, uh, and they just shelled the Phillies on Tuesday night, scored five runs, which is, you know, good on uh, – on Wednesday night, as we're recording, just after that game, um, that to me was not exactly what you would expect, even if you were being optimistic about him. I guess the second most surprising thing is just how bad Jose Reyes
0: has looked. Well, that, that was my other answer, but I I don't think it's all that surprising. I mean, I, I think if you recall on this very podcast, I said Jose Reyes is not going to get a hundred plate appearances with the Mets, and all of this. Hoopla about him being, you know, suspended for domestic violence is going to be a footnote in the season because he's never going to stick with the team. I yes. was convinced he was done last year, and then he most definitely wasn't. But I think that this Jose Reyes looks more similar to late 2015 Jose Reyes than it does late 2016 Jose Reyes. But it still doesn't make it totally surprising. I feel like Bruce is in one of the hottest streaks of his career right now. And granted, you know, let's all cue Ted Berg singing small sample size, but he looks pretty locked in right now.
1: Yeah, it's... that. I think that's part of what the concern is with Reyes, too, is that he looks the complete opposite of that. You know, if you you could be hitting the ball well and getting babbipped and everything and, you know... Things might turn around. You can make an argument. But, man, the dude's been on base three times. (laughs) And 38 played appearances. Like, it's just.
0: And hasn't really sat either.
1: Right. I mean, we're hearing tonight that he may sit the Thursday night game. We'll see how that goes over in the next few days. It's one of those things that he's probably fortunate, not only that. You know, he caught on with the Mets, returned last year, did well in his time with them. You know, it wasn't like superstar level, but the, the you know, the numbers he put up were good. Uh, but he's probably fortunate right now that there just isn't that position player crunch. Right. You know, if you had
0: If Wright was healthy.
1: Well yeah, oh yeah. Let's say let's just say everybody was healthy, right? Uh him, Nimmo, even just those two. And if the Mets had brought is Kelly Johnson still a free agent?
0: I believe so. Why I don't know, but he still is.
1: Yeah. So let's say but even if it's just the guys in house, yeah, you added Lugaris, you know, those those two outfielders, Nimmo and him, David Wright. Uh does Jose Reyes hold on to a roster spot if you activate three guys you know I I think that's a question right now as is never mind if they had done something to bring him in some- right. right so it's you know like you said it is a small sample it's early in the season but man like if a player could ever make a case that he was toast by the way he looked at the plate Reyes is
0: doing it right now. Some of those pitches, I guess it was in Monday night's game, he would take a pitch right down the plate and stare at it. The next yeah. pitch would be a breaking ball so far inside it might hit him, and he's flailing at it. He just has no feel for the plate right now whatsoever.
1: Yeah, it's – um, and, man, I hate to dabble in complete speculation, so I'm not even really suggesting this could be the case. Voodoo? But... <laughs> Well, yeah, that that is exactly where I was going. <laughs> but no, it, when Wilson Ramos had the LASIK surgery, and then all of a sudden it's like he could hit baseballs really well again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, that sort of thing. Like, is he? Or when Bart Simpson can't read the chalkboard? Right. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Like, is is there something Your like that?
0: Amuses me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is, is there something like that that? Uh, might explain why he looks so bad i'll admit that i was pretty tuned out of spring training and i haven't gone back to look at his stats from it but i didn't recall reading or or even seeing tweets during that span that he was looking like he was finished
0: we have to realize he was with the dominican republic team for so much of it too that's true you probably didn't catch a ton of dr games and when you did catch him you probably weren't looking at for Reyes' performance in them
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's definitely fair.
0: There was a great article by uh, Ben Lindbergh on The Ringer this week about the WBC injury effect, and there's this sort of uh, generally held belief that players are more likely to be injured if they were part of the World Baseball Classic, and he looks at that and tends to find that it's pretty much not true, but I, I think the WBC does... It's an easy scapegoat for when something like Reyes happens, or when Lugo gets hurt, you know, it's easy to point to the tournament they were playing in a few weeks ago as a uh as a smoking gun.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and I you know, I guess the question is how much and it might be very hard to answer, but how much does the adrenaline of that kind of situation make a player maybe max out too much too early yeah that's essentially
0: what they asked they 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 looked at injury data so like for instance let's say somebody played in the 2014 wbc they looked at their injury history for the three seasons prior and the three seasons after and looked at you know on average how many days were they on the disabled list those three years before then those three years after and see is there any uptick in injuries and essentially it was a player is likely to be on the disabled list for four more days over the course of the next season than if he didn't play. Yeah. So,
1: that's you know. not astronomical.
0: No, it's certainly not. Um, The only thing I will say about Jay Bruce's surprising performance is his outfield performance has been not surprising at all. He's not yeah, a good further.
1: <laughs> no. But the, I, I don't know. I mean, I... I feel like I've seen... Have I seen every game to this point? I might have. I try. Uh, (laughs) There was the... What was it? It was the triple that went over his head. Double. On Friday night last week. And there was an
0: opening day, too, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, it's... Like, overall, it hasn't cost them too much. Um, It's not pretty. There's some awkward catches and everything out there. But, you know, he's not... When you do what he's been doing at the plate, he's not the first right fielder in baseball history to, uh, you know, kind of slowly work his way around right field.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I bet the Mets can't wait to DH him a few games.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's true. Although, again, I will sell out my DH principles in a heartbeat to get David Wright. <laughs> that is true. As the everyday DH, I, and I feel like. You know, given everything he's dealt with, that's probably something he could do because it's essentially batting practice and some running.
0: Yep. All right. Um, Who has had the least surprising performance so far this season?
1: Okay. So, I will say.
0: I am loaded for bear here, by the way.
1: (laughs) I will say that in everything I've written or said about him, I have brought up his tendency to be... Either amazing or terrible on a month by month basis. So in that respect, Hansel Robles being just awful to me is not surprising. So, wait, wait, how many nice things did I say about him that I'm walking back right now? I mean, a
0: lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you had said at one point in the off season that you think that Robles could be. I don't know if you said it in these words, but essentially you said that he could be an equal of equal import to the bullpen as somebody like Jerry Blevins or Fernando Salas or perhaps even Addison Reed.
1: Yeah, well about that, <laughs> talk to me in a month when he's, uh, you know, it, it's when when he's put together a great month but it just feels like man like i don't know i don't know what it is clearly the talent is there because you can't you you know you can't rule out the bad stuff or rule out the good stuff and make a conclusion about a player but you also can't be a major league pitcher who has a month or two months straight of just dominant performances without having some talent right so we know he has that, and it's just like he's in a spot here where, you know, Familia is out for uh, for another few days at this point, but he's been out to start the, se- the season. Um, there's this opportunity to sort of step up, and it's just like it hasn't been him at all. If you needed something good to happen, it's Reed, Solace, Blevins, uh, and uh, –
0: Huh. <laughs> That's about it.
1: Yeah, that that might be the whole list. Uh, Smoker
0: but, has had moments of good of good performance.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, and Smoker, you know, I mean, it, it's it's not hard to root for any of these guys. They're all, you know, anybody who's like borderline like that. I mean, Smoker's a little bit more borderline just because he doesn't have a long major league track record yet. Uh, Robles does. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, as we speak, he has issued as many walks as he has strikeouts. That's not tenable. No. Sort of a a quirky stat um, in his five innings of work so far. Half of the fly balls he's allowed have been home runs. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so – I don't know. I'd like to think he's going to turn it around. I also was hoping that he could do something a little bit better. Um, and yeah, I'm. I'm we're, we're like barely into the season and I'm ready to walk back everything on Robles.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because your, your pick for um, least surprising performance is about a player that you believed in letting you down. Yeah. And mine is somewhat similar, although my belief was uh was hedged as as much as I could, and that's Rafael Montero. You know, I still want to believe that Montero has that spark that we all saw a few seasons ago. That guy who never walked a batter, that guy who had incredible control. I don't know where that guy went, but this Rafael Montero is incredibly frustrating to watch pitch.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. I did say the other day I'm going to go all in on him just because he annoys Mets fans so much.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a great troll pick. It really is.
1: Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Like everything, when Nelson Figueroa was talking about him just before the season started, you know, it, it was like a. I thought it was a good breakdown of what he'd been in spring training, and all the stuff that came up there just seems like it's not there when the games matter. I don't know what it is yeah i I, I really just don't know what to make of them. you know it's uh when, when Roblace when I'm saying that the walks and strikeouts being equal is an issue, uh Montero and for that matter smoker thus far have issued more walks uh, than, than the half strikeouts. But yeah, I I don't know. Montero, there was
0: there was one it was one he looked to right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I just don't know if it's like if relief does it if like playing in major league stadiums does it. Um This is like my the most the, the most speculation I will offer in one podcast episode. But going back like two or three years ago, he's in camp, and I'm down there, and I'm taking photos on all over all the fields and everything. And the dude looked like legitimately unsettled or pissed off, whatever, whatever you want to read it. But he had unhappy expression on his face that like a picture was being taken of him playing baseball. And for, like you for were me, like
0: stopping him during dinner with his family.
1: No, he was on on a baseball field in uniform, and I don't know. There's just something about that that I, it, it stuck out because it is literally the only player who had any, you, you know, and there's from the four years going down there, 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, there's thousands of photos of players. Most of the time they're not even looking in the direction of the camera, but when they How are – Right. The no, but like, it, yes. But if you catch them or whatever, and like, pers- there's one photo of him just looking totally unhappy that he's being taken, uh, or ta- a photos being taken of him, right? And it just stood out as something like, why? Like, this is so low key. Everything's relaxed. Like, what is it with this dude? So that's my little personal uh, anecdote about my doubts about Montero. All
0: right. What's the uh what's an amazing thing that's happened in the first nine days that we're never gonna remember a month from now?
1: Uh I will go with the really cool, unique defensive play by Darno in Philadelphia. I think it was on Monday night, right? Um
0: Uh yes, I believe so.
1: Yeah, yeah. It wasn't part of the ridiculous blowout. So yeah, Monday night. Mets series opener in Philly, and you had that situation as runners on first and second. I think the game was still close at the time um, because it it mattered when he did this, and then Blevins uh, sort of skips this pitch or throws it wide or whatever, and Darneau manages to get his glove on it and sort of deflect it straight up and then get the ball and throw down a second, and it wasn't a great throw. As Dribble Cabrera had to like bail him out on, uh, and then Cabrera throws to first to get the runner who was there, because both runners thought so much that there was no chance that Darnell was going to be able to field the ball that they kind of took off. Right. Uh, and then the inning ends on the two six three play. So that is one that right now there's been nine games that feels really important. I think in August it's not going to be something that people think about very much.
0: Yeah. Um, mine is that last night the Mets had three players that were a triple shy of the cycle. I know that the <laughs> nice. cycle, the cycle means nothing, right? That is, that is certainly not a, uh, a stat. I, I put a lot of weight into. It is very rare that it happens in baseball. And uh, at one point, they were going uh Gary and Rom were going on and on about how Cabrera was a triple shy of the cycle, and then somebody pointed out that oh wait, so is Duda, and then about a minute later, Darno hit a home run, and they went oh, darno is now too, <laughs> three players that were triple shy of the cycle is uh you know a weird little baseball anomaly, and one that again will not matter in the slightest a week or two from now, but it's a pretty cool little uh little fact, yeah. It's sort of a shame. It's like the most Duda getting almost no credit for what an amazing night he had last night is sort of the most Lucas Duda thing he could do. Just like quietly be really good and have nobody notice. Um, You know, he hit that moonshot last night. He also had a a double, a single, and another home run. And I believe he also walked during the game. he He just had this amazing game. And, you know, no one's even talking about it because Cespedes had the flashier uh, box score last night.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, one thing that happened during that game, though, Duda made a few smooth plays at first base. And at one point, Gary Cohen brought up that he thought Duda's defense was underrated. And I think he's made the point before, generally. I'm sure over the course of several 162-game seasons it's come up. Uh, But he also mentioned that so much gets talked about with the difference between Ike Davis and Lucas Duda's bat since the Mets made the decision on who to keep and who not to keep. Yeah. But he also pointed out the difference in the glove and that he thought that Duda had progressed to a point where, you know, he had improved uh, either with experience or whatever and, and that Davis was also inferior in that regard. And, you know, that all seems like a distant memory, even though it wasn't that long ago uh, that Ike Davis was still on the team before the Mets traded him and kept Duda. But it, it was nice to hear, even though the offensive performance was understandably overlooked because of Cespedes, it was nice to hear somebody with that spot, the authority that Gary Cohn has of being. The guy on TV talking about that because I do think that Duda's just general mechanics, footwork, stretching, sure-handedness get overlooked a lot.
0: The one thing I will miss about Ike Davis as a Met was that was my really easy litmus test for if you were full of shit as a Mets fan or not. If you preferred Ike Davis over Lucas Duda. It was a real easy way to end that conversation. <laughs> uh, so I will miss that about Ike Davis still, even though he's been gone for a couple of years at this point. Um, all right, and then uh, final final query for you, Chris. What was the most Mets moment of the first nine games? And so this, this isn't limited to in-game activity either.
1: Yeah. Ah. Uh, so this is the one that I was uh, that I. Didn't have a clear answer for.
0: Do you want me to go first? I have a very clear answer.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that, and then I'll see if I'm inspired.
0: Uh, it was the Mets not uh, forgetting to announce Michael Conforto on opening day.
1: Oh, yeah. You <laughs> win. That was it.
0: <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> Conforto, who, by the way, has looked amazing in limited playing time thus far. Hitting right. the ball with authority, getting on base, playing a decent outfield. Like, Conforto is looking every bit as great as as many of us believed he would look and to have the Mets organization ignore him on opening day is just, it's, it's so perfect.
1: Yeah. It was almost too good to the point that you would think it was intentional.
0: Exactly.
1: And it was, who was standing next? And was it Blevins or DeGrom? I think uh, it was Blevins. I think
0: it was Blevins. Yeah.
1: Right. What, what number does Blevins wear? Cause it usually goes in numerical order. Uh, 39. Yeah. So Yeah. Maybe it was him, whoever it was, leaned into the camera shot and everything. And then Howie Rose saved the day by mentioning Conforto. They couldn't even use the same camera, you know, because you have the on field camera going like direct, just doing the horizontal stand, you know, perpendicular to each guy's face. And then by the time they got to the end, they had to announce him and then they just cut to like a state, an SNY camera probably exactly, yeah. <laughs> like a a stadium camera looking down at him from far away. Uh, yeah, that was perfect. I don't have a better answer than that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's another example of it.
0: I feel like if this was a week or so later, having Reyes be the second free shirt, Friday shirt, is a pretty Mets moment.
1: Oh yeah, yeah no no that that's that's a good one. Um, I don't know. Things are going well. I like I'm not I'm not tuned into uh, or, or dialed in I should say I guess to LOL Mets. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that happened in in between opening day and now that would fall into that category. I'm really coming up with with a blank. What the most me? like new match thing would be having a great start to the season.
0: <laughs> Let's hope that that's the thing. Let's hope that's what doing something like the Mets means in years to come. Like, you know, the most Mets moment is going six and three. Yeah. Is shellacking the Phillies in Citizens Bank Park. To be fair, that is a pretty Mets thing. The Mets have hit very well in Citizens Bank Park the last four or five years.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, it's become very enjoyable that each series you kind of just go, all right, which game is going to be the one that they hit, you know, seven or eight home runs and just make it a laugher. Uh, yeah.
0: My brother is, uh he's a Mets fan, but he is, he, he lives, he doesn't live in the New York area. So he, he doesn't get to watch as many games and he's a bit more of a casual baseball fan than I am, but he uh, picked up TV this year and he texted me last night and was like, "I haven't watched a Mets game in Philadelphia in years. Are they always this dominant there?" And I said, "Well, you know, not on a game to game basis, but kind of. Yeah, they are. Like this is uh this is just how the Mets are right now playing in Philadelphia." Yeah, and that's glorious. It is.
1: You know, it's. I made the trip down there when they clinched the wild card spot. And it was sort of a reminder. I had been down to Philadelphia once earlier in the year last year and, you know, hit everything well where there was, there wasn't any traffic coming down from New York city and just kind of realized, Oh, this isn't really far away at all. Right. Um, And then went back down there where they clinched the wild card spot. And that The notion of going to that ballpark to enjoy a game. And I know there are a lot of Mets fans who make it down there regularly. But, I don't know, those 2007-8 scars (laughs) took a long time to heal. I think the last time I'd actually seen the Mets play at Citizens Bank Park before that game was, I forget what year it was, but Pedro got select Like, he went, I don't know. Two innings. I remember less, that game. Gave up a lot of runs and Mets lost like 13 to one or something. You know, and I'm sitting there and all in all, I think the Philly fans were pretty uh, okay to me, but just not a pleasant experience.
0: I actually haven't been to Citizens Bank ballpark yet.
1: Ah, all right. It's, I, was, uh,
0: I was at the vet, but not at Citizens Bank.
1: I I was able to be at the vet once too.
0: But well, we should do a uh, we should make we should make it a plan to get to a game there this year. Yeah, take an amazing avenue trip on the road. Yeah, look at I'm us. Sure. Who are we? The seven line? Come on. <laughs>
1: what what would that look like? There, you know. Uh... I want to say there's optimistically a dozen of us, right?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: We're all wearing different colored shirts.
0: Yeah. or Maybe you don't wear glasses, do you? Because I say most of us are wearing glasses.
1: No, I feel like I should get like the prop.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like there's,
1: there's a lens, but there isn't anything to right. the lens.
0: Yeah. I feel like each of us could be wearing a t-shirt of a band that is kind of popular, <laughs> but, but not, not all that popular.
1: All right, so we're inviting Jeff, and he has to bring a mountain goat shirt. Yeah, uh,
0: I can wear. I have. I have a nice new, uh, Ween shirt. I'm wearing lately. I have a shirt for the short-lived band Manamana. I can bust out. Um, I'm sure. Nice. You, I'm sure you have seven or nine Sonic Youth or Wilco shirts.
1: Um. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is, and we're probably all drinking beer.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I would. I would say
0: so. We're all talking about that one time Eric Simon showed up to an ARG. Yep.
1: And hung around for like the whole time. Yeah, he did. I I got to a point that I was like, I think I, I need to go, but <laughs> Eric's still here, so I can't really justify leaving until he does.
0: <laughs> yeah. So look, look look for this. Look for the amazing Avenue trip to Philadelphia this year. Yes. Uh, the Mets are offering, I don't know if you got this email or not, a uh, a trip to Seattle this year. Huh. They're like, it, it's their official, like, you know, let's put together a travel package for a road series this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, forgive me if I've told this story before on the podcast, but uh, one of my friends from, geez, grade school even, he is a huge, huge Yankee fan. And in 2005, I believe it was, the Yankees and the Yes Network did a, a reality show called the Yes Ultimate Road trip and he was part of this show and there were four fans picked to go to all one hundred and sixty two games that season oh yeah yeah and uh as well as they went they, he threw out a game a pitch of the playoff game and he went to the uh every playoff game he went to the all star game all that and he says that Safeco Cofield is the best ballpark in the in the United States,
1: huh all right that's a unique pick
0: yeah i mean this was 12 years ago or whatever so yeah no no but it's
1: i think most of the the two other parks or the the two parks i should say they get most of that fame are san francisco and pittsburgh
0: right which are both excellent
1: so so yeah uh, that's a unique one but to be
0: fair he did go this is before interleague play happened every day so depending what what National League uh, division the Yankees were playing that year. He may not have seen Pittsburgh or San Francisco.
1: Oh, yeah. That's
0: true. But, yeah. All right. Uh, Keep an eye on the site for our uh, Philly road trip. We're (laughs) having
2: (laughs) a...
3: Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and since I talked about uniforms last week, I figured I would continue this week, especially since uh, on Tuesday the Major League Baseball announced and revealed all the special event hats that its teams would be wearing this year for. Mother's Day and Father's Day and all the American holidays during the baseball season and during the All-Star Game. So talking about uniforms not the most exciting to do on an audio format, but since the news just came out and I'm coming off of a uniform segment anyway, I figured I'd go through it and probably have to think of something new to talk about next week. But for now, there are a lot of Ugly hats that the Mets are going to wear so that uh, baseball can can, can sell more hats. And they all look very different. Let's start with the one that I believe the Mets will be wearing the soonest. It's the Mother's Day hat. And it features a lot of the charcoal gray that we've seen baseball pushing lately. They had gray hats in last year's All-Star game. They have the, the dark gray that the Diamondbacks are wearing, that a lot of the World Baseball Classic teams wore. Well, we see uh, another dark gray on this Mother's Day hat, and it's got a pink New York Mets logo, and of course the interlocking NY, and also pink brim and a pink swatchy on top. So it's it's a two tone hat with uh, gray, and everything else is pink with the logo, the brim, and the swatchy. And. Uh, and based on the preview of the jersey designs for Mother's Day, I believe the Mets will be on the road at Mother's Day, but we will confirm that for you. So the gray hat, at least, well, the pink might clash with the Mets orange. Um, The gray will go with the gray, although it looks like the jerseys will have a pink lettering as well, so it the whole thing should at least go together, even if the Mets won't look like exactly like the New York Mets. Uh, it'll be a nice tribute for Mother's Day. So, moving on to Father's Day. There's a nice Carolina blue hat with a white NY logo. And then you have the charcoal gray brim and the charcoal gray swatchy, charcoal gray swatchy on top. So... This hat, I like a little more. I just am a fan of Sky Blue. It's been pretty popular in the sports logo world as of late, ever since the Denver Nuggets changed their look, probably around 10 years ago now. It's And and we, we've seen the Rays go to this Light Blue, as well as uh, the Royals have experimented with it in their alternate gear. So Light Blue is pretty popular. That's the direction that, that MLB is going to go on Father's Day. And... This is a decent looking standalone hat. I like that they go with the with the white logo, although maybe the a gray logo would have shown up better, but that's what baseball decided to do, and it's pretty much except for the white logo, it's kind of just a mirror image of the Mother's Day hat with instead of a, a gray body, this is has the the light blue, and then the gray is on the swatchy and the brim. So that brings us to what might be the least popular hat. It is the camouflage-themed hat, which which I liked these hats in the past when they were just the regular hat with the camouflage going on inside of the logo, but this hat is is dark green with a camouflage brim and then a black New York logo on the front outlined in olive green, and... It's just going to be hard to see that logo, and there's also black swatchy, and it's going to be hard to see the logo against the dark green background. The outline, the, the lighter outline around the logo just isn't just isn't thick enough to really separate the two, so I think when they wear these on the field, it's going to be kind of hard to see the logo, and I would prefer just a lighter background, although, and of course, the whole thing is, is not in Mets colors, so that's... That's going to maybe persuade some people against buying this hat. Maybe some people like it better because of that. I love seeing as much blue and orange as possible. So I'm not a huge fan of this camouflage hat, especially with all the camouflage going on on the brim. It looks like there's also five stars on the right side of the hat. That's the opposite side of the New Era logo. This picture I'm looking at doesn't show what color the New Era logo is on the Father's Day hat. It was in white, the same color as the Mets logo, and I'm guessing on the Mother's Day hat it'll be in pink. It'll probably be black on this on this military style hat, which which uh, the Mets will first wear on Memorial Day, and I'm not sure if they'll wear it on Labor Day as well. We'll have to see about that. But the good news is the Mets are wearing a. a Better looking hat on the 4th of July. This is more flag themed with a red, white, and uh, blue stars and stripes inside the Mets logo. So there's a lot going on there. And then it's got a simple, simple blue body with a red brim and red swatchy. All these caps, all these caps have different color, color brim is the rest of the hat, which I'm not a huge fan of, but you could see baseball trying to fit as many colors in here as possible. Uh, this this hat with the, the red will probably clash with the Mets orange on the Fourth of July, but on its own, it's it's a good looking patriotic hat. I like the flag inside the logo, and and the uh, the dark blue is is just a really nice to look at. Although it, again, not Mets colors, but a lot of Mets fans are fans of America too, so I think. This one will be pretty popular. So that brings us to the All-Star game which has featured two hats in recent years, the batting practice hat that are modeled after the hosting team's gear and then the the day of the actual All-Star game hats which are more in the in the specific team team colors. For the batting practice cap, the Mets hat is all black with a orange Mets logo outlined in white, not unlike the one they wear in their alternate hats. There's also a big all-star game logo on the right side. Um, most Mets fans aren't too fond of the Marlins, so I don't see this one being too popular, but because it's it's black with the orange logo, it it does bear some resemblance to the black Mets gear that they wore in the late 90s and early 2000s era, so... so uh, that might and it's it also looks like an old new york giants hat because of the black and orange so that might cause some people to buy in i'm not a huge fan although i do like that at least the the swatchy the body of the cap and the brim are the same color so it's the simplest cap that we've looked at so far except for the really big all star logo but hey that's why you're buying the cap because it's an all star cap so i can see why they would do that uh, the final hat that was revealed at least that I know of is the cap that the Mets all-star representatives will wear during the all-star game now these are it's it's blue except for a gold swatchy and it's got a gold New York Mets logo As all all the team logos on these style hats are gold and the all-star logo on the right side is it stands out last just because it's just cuz it's it's gold it's a gold outline but then the, the it rent blends in with the rest of the blue cap it's it doesn't stand out as much as the fully colored one on the batting practice hat and then you have these little gold stars around the holes around the perimeter of the top of the cap so you usually don't norm, don't notice those holes on a regular cap, but because of the gold stars, they really stand out, and I believe baseball did that last year as well, but this is, might be the nicest design, I'm not a fan of the gold stars, but it might be the nicest design that we've talked about today, just because it's simple blue, which makes it, means it looks like, actually looks like a Mets hat, and then you have your gold logos, because it's, the all-star game, and gold is fancy, so that is a nice-looking hat, and I will try to get the Mets schedule up to see if they will actually be on the road while they're wearing their gray Mother's Day cap, but... It's a shame that baseball feels like they have to change these designs either way, because even if they stumble across a good design, they won't stick with it, hence the military style cap. Uh, It used to be more of a subtle design, and then they just went totally cray-cray with it this year, with it being dark green and, and not matching what the Mets are doing at all. So it looks like the Mets will be in Milwaukee on Mother's Day, so... You'll see that gray hat with their gray Mets uniforms with pink outline. And then Father's Day is home against the Nationals. And it looks like the Mets will be giving away as a promotion some form of their Father's Day hat. I don't... It probably won't be that new era version that you can buy from the Mets website or from in stores. It'll probably be something with the similar colors, but with like a sponsor's name on it. That's what I'm guessing because it's a free promotion. So there you go. Mets will be away on Mother's Day with a gray hat and home on Father's Day with a mostly light blue hat. And, and, uh, so there, there you have it. We've talked way too much about Mets uniforms. We also have an article up on the site that has pictures of the hat. These hats is it's written by Linda Sarovich. So, you can go to mazenavenue.com for more on that. We have pictures of all of the hats that you can buy or that you could just watch the Mets wear. And uh, and it's pretty sweet. Even though I probably won't be getting any of these, I just I just love the blue and orange too much to invest in any of the alternate hats. But that is up to you. And I will sign off for now. This has been Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio.
2: This is Steve Saipa, and since the minor league season is here now, I'm going to start a new segment entitled Minor League Players of the Week. (laughs) That's pretty self-explanatory. Basically, the hitter and the pitcher that have the best week are going to be our players of the week. So, before we get to that, though, let's just look at how all the affiliates uh, did in their first week of 2017. The Las Vegas 51s went 1-2 in their first week, which isn't that great. The... Binghamton Rumble Ponies in uh, had their opening day delayed a little bit, but they won both sides of a doubleheader and went 2 and 0 for the week. The St. Lucie Mets went 1 and 2, and the Columbia Fireflies are currently undefeated and in their first week went 3 and 0. So, let's get to the mean potatoes here. Our pitcher of the week for week 1 is right-handed pitcher Jordan Humphreys, who pitches for the Columbia Fireflies. He made one start this week, and he pitched 5.2 innings, allowing three hits, walking one batter, and striking out nine. So Humphreys is a guy to keep an eye on, but don't let your expectations get too, too high. Uh, He was drafted in the 18th round of the 2015 draft out of Crystal River High School in Florida, which is the same uh, school that Mike Hampton attended. And he had a pretty good uh, professional debut uh, with Kingsport to the extent that last year uh, we named him Kingsport's 2016 Cy Young in our Kingsport uh, season review. He made 12 starts down there and pitched 61.9 innings, which is pretty nice. His ERA was a little pedestrian at 3.76, but more importantly, he walked 15 batters, which is good for a 1.9 walks per 9 rate. And he struck out 76 batters, which is good for a 9.9 strikeout per nine rate. Um, and those 76 strikeouts also led the Appalachian League. He's listed at 6'2", 225, so there probably really isn't much room for um, additional physical development. But he has a he has a smooth, easy delivery, and the ball comes out of his hand pretty effortlessly. So there's a chance, you know, with a little more effort, physical effort, or a little tweak. To his delivery, he'll be able to add maybe he'll be able to add a little bit uh, extra zip to his fastball. Right now, it sits in the low 90s, about 91 and 94, and you know honestly that's plenty for now at this level. Maybe in the future, you know if he if if coaches tweak a little things, um, maybe he'll be able to hit 95, 96 in short bursts. But really, I wouldn't expect anything else from his fastball uh, in that department. Uh, he has good command of it though, uh, and he's able to locate it all over the strike zone and you know that kind of stuff is equally as important, if not more important than just pure velocity. Looking at his secondary stuff, his changeup is his best secondary pitch. It sits in the low uh to mid eighties, you know, about eighty two to eighty six, which means it has a ten mile per hour differential from his fastball. He maintains his arm speed when he throws it, and he doesn't telegraph it, so that's good. But he doesn't get, you know, the pitch doesn't get much fade, uh, so he's still working on that part. He also throws a curveball, but that needs a bit of improvement. Right now, it's just kind of like a lazy slurve rather than a more well-defined curveball. So he really, basically, needs to just kind of tighten the pitch up, or maybe just abandon it completely and try to develop um, develop a slider instead. So now, we'll look at our uh, hitter of the week, and that belongs to Dash Winningham, who is the Columbia Fireflies first baseman. This week, in week one, he is 6-15, for with one home run and four RBI. So, besides for having an 80-grade name, uh, Dash has like 70-grade power. You know, he is a definite power threat. He hit 12 home runs in each of the past two seasons, last year at Columbia, and then uh, 2015 with Kingsport. He isn't a one-dimensional player, necessarily. I mean, he has a really good arm, but since he's a first baseman, you know, you don't really get to see the arm too much. So as a result, really just kind of mashing the baseball is the only good thing that he's, you know, the only thing that he's really good at. His ability to make contact and hit for average is kind of questionable. Since his bat speed is really only so-so, you know, his, his home run power really comes from just kind of pure strength rather than bat speed. So the bat speed, you know, that's so-so, and he kind of has a hitch in his swing from his arm movement and his leg kick that gets exploited. So Dash really isn't a prospect because of that, but he's just kind of, you know, he's like a fun guy to root for. You know, obviously, his name is Dash Winningham, who would not want to root for a guy named Dash Winningham. Plus, no joke, he has a brother named Moose. And Moose is a big fan of his brother, and, you know, we all wish that we had, uh, brothers, we all wish that we had siblings that are cool like that, you know. I'm lucky, I do. My sister's pretty cool. My brother's pretty cool too, random tangent. But anyway, uh, those are our Minor League Players of the Week for Week 1, and I'll be back next week on Amazing Avenue Audio for Week 2.
4: Brian Wright with the latest edition of a Top 5 list concerning Mets history, and a list that no Mets club, present or future, would care to make. It's the Top 5 Disappointing Teams. We begin with number 5, and 1988. Yes, the Mets did win 100 during the regular season, and yes, they won the division by 15 games over Pittsburgh. But where New York really earned its spot here came with what took place in the postseason. The National League Championship Series should have been a walkover. After all, Davey Johnson's team had won 10 of the 11 meetings against Tommy Lasorda's Los Angeles Dodgers. There was little reason to believe that trend wouldn't continue, save for the specter of Oral Hershizer and his 59 consecutive scoreless innings. But he lived up to his bulldog mentality, earning the save in the 12th inning of Game 4 after Dwight Gooden allowed Mike Socha's unlikely two-run home run to tie it in the top of the ninth and prevent a three-game-to-one lead for New York. L.A. took Game 5 the next day, New York won Game 6, but Herscheiser returned for Game 7. An early 6-0 lead was more than enough for that year's Cy Young Award winner. The Mets shockingly came up short of the World Series, while the Dodgers took the title. On to number 4, and that would be the Cellar Dwellers of 2002. Off-season additions like Roberto Alomar at second base and Mauvan at first base had the makings of a good supporting cast around Mike Piazza and Edgardo Alfonso. While most 26 homers were more respectable than his lack of mobility, Alomar showed that he was far off his all-star caliber of a year ago. His 266 batting average was 70 points lower than it was in 2001 with Cleveland, while his 331 on on-base percentage was a drop-off of nearly 80 points. His 11 errors were relatively high. It was the team's total that was most staggering. The mistake-prone Mets committed a league-high 144 errors. Despite these shortcomings, New York was actually in first place as late as May 29th, but things soon began to tumble downwards. August was when it really fell apart, as the team could only manage six victories for the month and also suffered a 12-game losing streak. When the dust settled, the Mets were in last place at 75-86, well off preseason expectations. This would prove to be the last straw for both manager Bobby Valentine and general manager Steve Phillips, who were fired at season's end. We go back 15 years for number three, 1987. With the dramatic and thrilling World Series just in the rearview mirror, and just about all the talent returning, the 87 season was supposed to help forge a dynasty. But the year got off on a terribly bad note, and it had nothing to do with what occurred on the field. Dwight Gooden was out for two months, undergoing drug rehab after being under the influence of cocaine. The pitching staff would be further depleted with injuries to Bob Ojeda, Sid Fernandez, and Ron Darling, among others. Darrell Strawberry stirred emotions in the clubhouse with his selfish behavior. But when his bat did the talking, it was most effective. Both he and Howard Johnson had 30-30 seasons, and the offense helped the Mets gain ground on a Cardinals team that had gotten off to a significant lead in the NL East. They closed within one and a half games before a key September series at Shea, but Terry Pendleton's game-tying ninth-inning home run off Roger McDowell prevented New York from closing in any further. It was just one loss, but in reality, the Mets couldn't recover from there on out. They finished with 92 victories, and the Cards went on to win the East by three games. The Mets never got a chance to defend their title in the postseason. Fast forward 20 years, and the wound of our number two disappointing team, 2007, is still all too fresh. The club of Wright, Reyes, Beltran, Delgado, and more were 74-60, and, and two games ahead of Philadelphia in the NL East by the end of August. By September 12th, the Mets were 83-62, and, and seven games ahead of the Phillies. A second straight division title looked to be a formality. Then the final 17 regular season games happened, and they couldn't have gone any worse. Three straight home losses to the Phils were followed by five to the lowly Washington Nationals, including a sweep at Shea from September 24th through the 26th. By the time the Florida Marlins came to Flushing on the 28th, New York and Philly were tied at the top. That was still the case on the final day of the regular season. Game 162 was a total disaster before it really got started. The Marlins jumped on Tom Glavin for seven first-inning runs and never looked back. Meanwhile, the Phillies were taking care of Washington. With their defeat to Florida, the Mets had somehow found a way to lose the division and miss out on the playoffs. The lesson to be learned? No lead is safe. From a legendary September collapse to a disaster that spanned an entire season, that season is 1992, the most disappointing team in Mets history, and, as a book would call them, the worst team money could buy. Even spring training wasn't immune to calamity. In March, rape allegations against Doc Gooden, Darrell Boston, and Vince Coleman permeated throughout camp. Later that month, players called for a media boycott. Before April, new manager Jeff Torberg had lost control of the clubhouse. Even with the turmoil, the Mets appeared to have enough talent, both in returning players and free agent acquisitions, to contend, but oh how wrong those preseason predictions were. Bobby Bonilla, snatched from the Pirates during the winter, failed to live up to his massive five-year $29 million contract. But he wasn't the only one who played below his normal level. The Mets didn't have a single player reach 20 home runs, and no regular came near a 300 batting average. New York languished through the first half before nosediving in August and September. A 72-90 and 90 mark saw them in fifth place, and 24 games behind division champ Pittsburgh. Let's just hope the 2017 version of the New York Mets comes nowhere close to what the team of 25 years prior um, accomplished, for lack of a better term. That's all for this list. I'm Brian Wright.
5: Hi, it's Kate with your weekly Panic City update. And this week was going to be about the Mets' dreadful lack of offense, and then they went off and hit seven home runs Tuesday Tuesday night. I lost track of Mondays. Tuesday night against the Phillies, so now that feels like a ridiculous thing to talk about. Except, it actually is a problem, and, you know, the Mets, the Mets hit it's just a systeming Park for whatever reason. This team has always loved hitting in Philly. So I really don't think that those home runs mean a whole lot. It was fun. It could mean something. I'm not going to rely on the fact that Cespedes is going to hit three home runs every night. Jose Reyes is not hitting. They've, Terry Collins dropped him in the lineup, which was the first sign. I have no faith in the fact that if he's still not hitting in May, he won't still be in that lineup. TJ Rivera could be there. Wilmer Flores could probably be at third. It's going to be Jose Reyes for a very long time, no matter if he's still hitting, what is it, like a buck fifty. And it's, you know, everyone else, they're okay. It's not great. And that's a big problem right now, which seems pretty obvious. The Mets aren't scoring runs, so they're not going to win baseball games. The bullpen is also very shaky. They called up Paul Seawall the other night did not look good in his first appearance looked a bit better Tuesday night not a whole lot it's probably just a what have we got left like 10 games something until Familia's back and then I'm assuming he's going back to Vegas Hansel Robles is I don't know what it is about this guy I know he's good and I know the numbers are there but every single time he comes up I'm pretty sure he lets three runners on every single appearance that's not exactly what you're looking for and Addison Reed hasn't looked particularly stellar yet. Everyone's just kind of iffy, but it's so early in the season that it doesn't mean a whole lot. It's you know, it's cold, it's rainy, it's miserable out there. Everyone's still getting warmed up, so I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in honestly any of this. But for now, let's just hope that they're going to keep hitting like they've played in Citizens Bank Park every night.
0: Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope that you join us each and every week, and we hope that you email the show, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com, so that you can ask us questions, share feedback, and we can make this a nice interactive experience. You can also check out amazingavenue.com, where we're doing all sorts of writing about the Mets, including uh, in-depth recaps of every game, injury reports, minor league reports, etc., Amazing Avenue also has a great social media presence. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Uh, you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, in Stitcher, in your podcatcher of choice. We truly do appreciate the rates and the reviews. Uh, those things, rates, the ratings and reviews, those things really do help get the word about word out about the show, so please continue to do that. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve is at Steve Saipa, uh, Kate is at Kate E Feldman. Brian Wright is at Brian Wright eighty six, and Aaron York is at Aaron P York. So uh, when we next talk to you guys, we'll be done with uh, another series, possibly another two series, depending on when the episode drops, and um, hopefully we're all feeling as good about the Mets as we are right now. So until next time, let's go
2: Mets.